0: Why do salmon swim upstream despite the threat of the bear? Because laying down the foundation for the next generation is worth the risk. This is the Upstream podcast hosted by me, Salmon Like the Fish, where guests share their pearls of wisdom that could have only been realized through the journey against the current of life. Your presence here and now is no mistake. Keep your ears and your heart open. There is something for you to gain. All right. So we are here with Richie Hessian, CEO of Blue Crest Recovery Center. Today, our topic is going to be, This is the way way being spelled W-A-A-Y, in reference to AA and how many people who aren't even um, struggling with addiction, alcoholism, opiate addiction, uh, could benefit the general population. So, uh, Richie, thank you so much for being here.
1: Thanks for having me, Sal.
0: Yeah, so I just wanted to uh, just ask you to introduce yourself a little bit about yourself. Um, how did you get into this work? Uh, why is this important to you? And and after that, maybe we discuss what actually is AA, if we can summarize that.
1: Sure. So. Um, Well, I will say that uh, because my parents would have me say it because growing up, (laughs) people say our name wrong all the time. Oh, Uh, a lot. No, that's okay. It's all good because of how it's spelled H E S S -S I O N, Hessian, Hessen. It's Hessian. Hessian. So Hessian, like the Hessian soldiers, although not the Hessian soldiers because that's I A N, we're I O N, but it is Hessian. You know, that's funny. The. The reason this podcast is named the Up
0: uh, the Upstream Podcast with Salmon Like the Fish is for many years, I always got so frustrated when I'd introduce myself. My name is Salmon. I was like, oh, like the fish? <laughs> and it would piss me off. And yeah. one day I just decided, no, I'm going to own it. Yeah, it is like the fish. Right. Except with an A. So right. thank you for clarifying because I've, I've always thought it was Hessian. So no, Hessian.
1: Hessian, yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm the CEO of uh, Blue Crush Recovery Center. And I love the fact that you're doing this podcast just in general. and when you told me kind of your ideas about the kinds of podcasts you were doing and the kinds of topics and what we're going to be talking about, um, you and I have had this conversation off, offline, mm. uh, you know, not related to the podcast. I guess it was probably one of the ideas of why this would be a good topic. And it's something that I've been saying forever, um, that the big book, the 12-Step Recovery Program, uh, even it in and of itself is, is founded on from other programs, right? It wasn't born of itself. It was... You know, we stood on the shoulders of giants, if you will, right? And so a lot of stuff goes back to um, earlier days and other programs, and then it developed into what it is. Um, For me, it's easy to say that uh, I can say 100% guaranteed that if I could somehow make everyone, we'll just start with New Jersey, forget (laughs) about the world, (laughs) because the world is so big. But if I could make everyone in New York and New Jersey, where I was born and where I live now, do the 12-step recovery program. New York and New Jersey would be one of the most reasonable, happy places in the world. Mm. Um, The 12-step recovery program of AA is something that, and I've had people ask me, right, to sponsor them, to take them through the steps that were not alcoholics. I've had people ask me that question. Um, because especially people I grew up with and people who kind of knew who I was. So you asked why I went through it it all in the first place. You know, I got into this not because I wanted to, not because I had an epiphany. You know, I got into this out of necessity, right? It was born out of need because of my active addiction. Mm. And my life was off the rails, absolutely, completely insane. Um, If anybody's ever heard one of my One of my talks about my life story, but suffice it to say, I drank and I used drugs way too much, way too often for way too long. And I hit just rock bottom where my family wouldn't let me live with them anymore. Um, But the last family member who would let me live with him, my bro... Uh, he finally couldn't take it anymore either, and he said, "Look, dude, I can't live. You know, he couldn't live like that, right? Having an active addict living in your house is just completely insane. You got to padlock both sides of your bedroom door mm. because you know a bad addict will, will jimmy the uh, will jimmy the other side of your door and and open it that way to get into you know get what what they can to 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 borrow <laughs> from a family <laughs> member to go out and feed their addiction." And yeah. so my brother couldn't take it anymore, and so finally. You know, I was in that place. And, and you know, it's an interesting spot, and I joke about this all the time. It's only foxhole humor, right? Only alcoholics and addicts really get what I'm saying. But it's so funny that when you find yourself with no job and no bank account and no car and nowhere to live with all your belongings in a black garbage bag and you're standing out in front of the last place that you were able to stay and now you got nowhere to go... You're homeless, Mm. you know? and And for me, I don't do homeless. I need a couch, I need a shower, I need a TV, right? So I wasn't one of those kids who's like, well, I'll go live under a bridge. You know, I'm definitely not built like that. So, you know, I raised my hand and said, well, I think I might have an alcohol and drug problem. Again, and and, and this is important to go to what you were talking about as to why I would, why I got involved in the 12-step recovery program in the first place. And like I said, it was born out of necessity. I didn't go to detox because I had some, I I had some overwhelming desire to change my life, or I saw all my friends going on to go and graduate college and go to law school, and who got this job, and who got that job, and who got married, and who was buying a house, and who was having kids, and me, I'm, you know, 25 years old, and I'm just absolutely a rabid cocaine addict, and alcoholic, and every day for me, I was drinking and using to live, and living to use and drink, Mm. so i never even, when I looked at all those people, believe it or not, that's the sickness of the mind. I'd look at them all and I'd be like, suckers. You know what <laughs> right, I mean? Right. The suckers just being, you know, it's the rat race and you're, yeah, you know I mean, you're bought into the rat race. Almost and, like you're enlightened in a way, like they're on the wheel. Yeah, yeah absolutely, you know, and as bad as it got, I still felt like me, I was living free, man, right? right. I mean, you know, listen, I'm not a rebel motorcycle guy, a one percenter, right, where you yeah. just live free or die. But, you know, for me, it's just that's what you what you believe. And but so I didn't have an epiphany. I just didn't have any place to go. And alcohol and drugs took all that from me. No trust. My family, they loved me. Sure. Of course, they love me the way family loves family. But you can love me, but not like me, mm. you know. And so eventually you, you get to a point where if you hurt enough people and you and that trust disappears and that they you know I don't know if my family did tough love no one ever they didn't even really know what that meant my family's just tough love people they didn't have to be told by a counselor oh you need to be tough love my parents just said get out you know that explains
0: so much about you I you are this man of tough love I can I can totally see that you you give it straight so I guess this is where you got it from listen we
1: all grow right I mean so much stuff and and again we could talk counseling, you could talk psychiatry, you could talk 12-step work. I mean, anybody who's anybody in the field of trying to get people to get in touch with themselves, to get beyond whatever inside has bottled them up, almost everything goes back to childhood. Mm. Everything goes back to childhood. So much that we do and so much that holds us up and so much that blocks us dates back a long, long time ago, right? Mm. From, from when we were kids.
0: You said it was, this was born out of necessity for you. Did you mean that more like from the emotional aspect, like something like you felt so void or literally for a place to live, place to eat? Period. That's what it was. Which is
1: my point, right? It was born out of necessity, not an epiphany, not the desire to kind of emotions. I wasn't even, the way we were brought up, you know, my father's a, a, a an Irish Catholic fireman with rage problems, mm. right? So, you know, we were you you had emotions and feelings. You just shove that stuff <laughs> right. down deep,
0: you know. Uh, who's the comedian that goes into this bit? Uh, uh, something more. Uh, shoot, red hair, Irish. Uh, and he just talks about how, like, uh, the way you're taught as a man you just gonna stuff it everything yeah. down, <laughs> stuff uh, it Bill deep. Burr. Oh Bill yes, Burr. absolutely, and absolutely. I, what's What's amazing about him is. That's kind of sad when you think about it, but the fact that he says it out loud, all the men in the audience can identify. Oh, absolutely,
1: like, I'm not the only one that does absolutely. this. Absolutely, you know, you know, you know. It's funny because we joke, we talk about this stuff all the time. People who are, you know, I jokingly say the enlightened, but people who sure. kind of had these experiences that I've had, where we could talk much more freely and we're more in touch with ourselves and mm. you know how we process things and. You know, we'll we'll joke around, but, um, you know, guys like Burr will will say that stuff out loud, and it'll it'll be a joke. Uh, It's the foxhole humor again. We get it in a way that other people just, other people don't get it. You know what I mean? Like, for me, that stuff is, I grew up with it, and we all identify with that stuff huge when you hear it. What are you gonna? What are you gonna cry about it, right. Mary? Right. That's what my father used yes. to say all the time. What are you gonna cry about, it, Mary? That exact line. But we all identify with yeah. that stuff, right? Like, yeah. I mean, in a huge way. And guys in the audience, everyone—you'll look around and people will be laughing, and they're laughing because they can completely understand what that guy's talking about, right? Right. right. And once you're able to look and process that stuff. You know, I laugh about it now differently. Like, people in the audience will laugh about it. And, again, we'll get into this, I'm sure, in the course of our conversation. But, you know, people will laugh about it. But then some of them, you were talking about this just before we started. And... when you were on the deck and you were doing that cleaning and all of a sudden something popped out into your brain and you were like, that's (laughs) that's childhood coming out in everyday life, right? Mm. In those filters, people will go listen to a comedian and they'll laugh, but how many of them then go home later on and their mind starts going when they're in the shower and they're thinking about, you know, maybe not even consciously, but subconsciously that jokes that he made, but the way we grew up that's just a reality. That's cultural, mm. right? That's just the way it was for yeah. men back in the day. Oh, that's what it was. The, the the people, like for all of us, most of us, 85, 90% of the audience, that's what their life experience is. Certain men within certain cultural Understanding, And then there's the small percentage of so people who on? their parent was a psychiatrist <laughs> right. or a counselor or yeah. whatever, and they were more in touch with their feelings right. and taught their kids that. And you know what? They were screwed up in a right. whole different <laughs> right. way, right? They were messed 100%. up totally 100%. different. 100%. 100%. So, I mean, what parent does a perfect job, right? I, I, yeah. I always say that I think my job, having been through the 12-step recovery program, one of the things that I look at when I'm, I consider when I'm um, interacting with my kids and when I'm raising my children and when I'm making decisions and the way they see me be, the way they see me show up, the way they see me act, my kids have maybe seen me really angry and my twins are 11 years old, so I'll just go on them. Emma's only five, but my twins are 11 years old. Mm. They've seen me like angry, Mm -hmm. angry, maybe five times Mm -hmm. in their lives. Mm -hmm. I mean, they've seen me get pissed about nonsense, but they've seen me... Angry, angry five times. Mm. I've seen my father angry, angry 4,000 times. Right. right. I mean, I. If for us, it was an everyday thing. It was, you know, there it, it was always that explosion, and that's how things were managed. And then, you know, we learned what we learned. So, let me take it back for a second though because you're you're asking and I'm saying it's born out of necessity. Yeah. And it's born out of necessity not because I wanted to get in touch with any of this stuff or because I didn't feel fulfilled or emotionally. Dude, I didn't even think of things right. that way. It didn't even matter. It, it didn't this is what we're talking about. It's why it's so funny the joke about Bill Burr. You would never process information that right. way. It's right. just that kind of stuff doesn't get discussed, doesn't get talked about. I don't have some some way to to introspection was not a part of my normal introspection was the opposite of the way I lived. Mm. So no, if for me, it was born out of necessity because I had nowhere to live and I had no bank account, no car, no money. And I had a serious drug and alcohol problem, which I had happily ignored. Dude, there comes a point for a lot of us when you're out drinking and using where I knew I was an alcoholic and an addict. I just didn't care. Mm. I literally remember looking in the mirror in the middle of a two day run, It happened a bunch of times where I'm I'm on my second day and I'm like going into the bathroom at 2 a.m. And I look at myself in the mirror, that haggard red, that haggard red eyed, just insane look, my jaw going a thousand miles an hour, hadn't slept in two days. And I'm in the middle of just an alcohol and drug fueled insanity. And you'd look at yourself in the mirror and you'd know. The, the, the Drowning Man commercial would come on at 2 o'clock in the morning and I don't know if anybody remembers that. No, what, what that? is the
0: Drowning Man commercial?
1: You know, like they would have those commercials. Do you remember the commercials? It's 10 it's ten p.m. Do you know where your children yes. are? That was the good ones. That was the heads up to the parents. Right. Like, hey, do you know where your kids are right now? Then there was the 2 a.m. commercial. Are you drinking right now? Wow. Are you high in your house watching this commercial. They used wow. to have those. And people would make fun and joke about those. But dude, those actually did have their effect. Those saved people. Not for always sure. right away. Yeah. But don't think for a second because that commercial kicked it off Slide my mind. Seed. And when I went and looked in the mirror, I was thinking about that commercial. Mm. And I'm yeah. looking and I'm like, and I remember looking and saying, All right, so you're a drug addict. Right. You know, be the best one you can be. And I would laugh about it. But, but I literally accepted the insanity of my situation until. I was homeless.
0: You know, oh. that's so funny because I remember growing up the commercial, it was a skillet and they say, this is your brain. And this is this your, your brain, brain on drugs. drugs. And that <laughs> always stuck till this day that sticks to me. And I remember, you know, when I had my phase after the fact, you know, dealing with the mental health uh, symptoms after the fact, truly my brain was like fried from drugs. Of and, and then that had its own emotional consequences as well. But, you know, just for listeners who don't know like what detox is, I mean, essentially, right, this is where you're chemically dependent, and if you were to be removed from the drugs or alcohol, you could have a seizure. You can have really terrible withdrawal symptoms, and which would, you know, s- some withdrawal is not going to kill you, but it would actually point you right back to using the drug again. If, if you if you those weren't um, medically kind of uh, uh, treated, right? That's the es- essentially sure. the purpose of the disease so helps.
1: The first time that I tried to get sober, I didn't go to a detox, right? This was years earlier. And I also want to say, because you made, you used the example of the commercial. And and again, this is just the mindset of people when they're in the situation and how you will just foxhole humor and you'll joke about your situation. I remember this is your brain. This is your brain on drugs. This is your brain on drugs with a side of bacon. (laughs) And that was like a funny t-shirt where it had the eggs and then it had like a side of bacon and you'd make a joke about it, right? But so- yeah. So the first time I went to go get sober, this was before I lost all trust and lost everywhere to go. And, but I had developed a problem and I had one of my bosses on wall street when I was a young stockbroker in training and he saw the signs and he himself had been in uh, Alcoholics Anonymous for a number of years. I think he was sober like 11 years at the time when I came into his little world and you know, I was coming into work banged up and he saw me and he called me into his office one day and he goes, uh, He goes, hey, uh," he goes, let me just tell you what you did last night. And I'm like, what? Mm. Like I came to work an hour late again and you don't do that at this particular place. Like you gotta be there early and on the phones. He's let me tell you what you did last night. And I'm like, what? And he said, last night you started drinking right around like eight o'clock and uh, maybe at about 10. Now you started doing a couple of lines and, and you were you probably playing and uh, went to one of the local bars down by your house and you were playing darts and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh my God, that's exactly what I was doing. To the tea. And then he was like, and then at about midnight you started telling yourself, this is a bad idea and you got just one more 40. And then you figured, you know what? I'm, if I can still get five hours of sleep and he starts walking through the mindset of wow. everything I was thinking. And I'm like, I'm still kind of high even in his office, and I'm thinking like, are these guys like following home, <laughs> like <laughs> keeping an eye on me? Like paranoid at this point, But, yeah. but he knew the game, yeah. and he knew exactly he knew what I patterns. was doing. Absolutely. He knew the patterns. Absolutely. took me to my first AA meeting, and I didn't do detox at the time. Uh-huh. I was young. Uh, listen, I, uh, officially, I'll tell you, anytime somebody drinks the amounts I did for the, long, the period of time I did, and cocaine, not so much, because... Withdrawal from cocaine doesn't in and of itself have, have physical danger, but alcohol does absolutely in, in, seizures, a, right? in a big way. And yeah, you can have seizures for sure, uh, tremens and all that. But, um, you know, so, so I didn't go to detox, I was young and I just stopped drinking. He brought me to AA, mm. and so I went to, I just went through my that uncomfortable f- phase. But I did the marijuana maintenance program, mm. I went to AA for a little while, I didn't drink. Anything. I didn't have any pot. I didn't do anything for about five months, and uh, you know that was like just white. They call it white, white knuckling. knuckling it, right? I didn't do any program stuff. I didn't do anything. But you were going to AA meetings. But you weren't I doing programming. I did. I didn't get a sponsor. I didn't uh, get a home group. I didn't do any of the things they tell you to do. I was around AA. Yeah. I did go to the meetings, and so I heard some What is stuff. that
0: called? Meeting maker? Is that what
1: that's yeah, called? Yeah, meeting makers make it is what they say when meeting you go to AA. Meeting makers make it. Meeting makers make it. You go to a meeting, and if you go to another meeting, and then you go to another meeting, and people who don't miss a meeting, 90 meetings in 90 days, and if you just make a meeting every day, you'll get and you'll stay sober. And uh, they, they used to, old school guys used to say that to us, hold on to your chair, kid, because it's going to be a... It's going to be a difficult and uncomfortable ride. You know that's what the old school AA guys would yeah. say, and you know that doesn't sound great to me. To be Is honest, white knuckling it though, going to ninety day, ninety meetings and ninety days with doing nothing else yes. to fix your sick, broken spiritual condition. Yeah, yeah. that's that's not totally a great right. idea. <laughs> yeah. And but it's a great start. Yeah, I, I'll give that advice to everybody. See. It's an it's an old AA thing, and I'm, I won't go too much into it. But just because we're talking about it, you know, there's don't drink. There's don't drink and go to meetings, uh-huh. and then there's just don't drink and go to meetings. I always say don't drink and go to meetings. It's a great idea. Don't drink and go to a meeting. Yeah. You should do both of those things every day if right. you can. Like that's that's really good solid advice. Uh-huh. The problem I have is when people say just don't drink and go to meetings because that means that that's all you have to do. Uh-huh. Just do that and you'll be fine. It's uh-huh. a lie. Right? Right because the condition of an alcoholic addict and we've been talking already about childhood and about all the stuff that's going on in our minds and our and our hearts and our just you're broken i mean in every way a human being can be broken twisted dude twisted Mm. the mind of an alcoholic the rampant selfishness and fear and shame and guilt and despair and those things don't just go away Mm. in point of fact if you're somebody like me and you're drinking and you're using drugs and you're doing that day in and day out to live that is your coping mechanism right like that's what you do things are great just drink and get right, high. Right. Things are bad. Drink and get high. Yeah, You're depressed. It is a oh, skill, I can fix that. Oh, unquote. yeah. It's well, a and, It's not a good one. Uh, but there was a time where it worked. Mm. Right? I always tell people, like when I'm speaking in a meeting, I tell guys all the time, yeah, I'm not one of those people who's going to say, uh, you know, my worst day uh, uh, sober is better than my best day drinking or using. Mm. Hell no. Yeah. My best day drinking or using was awesome. There yeah. was a time when alcohol and drugs did its thing for me and right. it was wonderful yeah. and it would g- help combat all those things. Right. Loneliness and th- this and that and anything that I had going on. That's totally a couple drinks You know, this could.
0: might be kind of scandalous that I say this, but I tell patients all the time, like, I can't judge someone for using drugs or alcohol because they're, they're in, I actually give them credit because they're intuitively trying to treat something. <laughs> right. You know, like, right. like at this stage of the game, if people are in a detox or a PA, uh, partial hospitalization program, they're not using drugs and alcohol to party anymore. Right. They're using it just to function. Right. Just to be able to go to work. Yeah. Just to be able to not be suicidal yeah. sometimes, you know? Yeah. So I, I never, I think, for the addict, uh, at least the ones that I've that I've worked with on a one to one, it's like there's such this shame about sure. this. One. But once I tell them, like oh, I credit you, it's almost like you see like a physical change in their face. Like sure. this person's not judging me, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. and which I,
1: I really can't. You no, know? and 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 nor, sh- nor should anyone. Any, right. Who sure. Who are we to sit in judgment of another person? Right. Right. Walk right. a mile in their shoes. Absolutely. And and so for me. Once you take away my alcohol and drugs, and now all I'm doing is just going to meetings and hearing everybody, ah, you know, life sucks and this sucks and blah, blah, blah. I'm talking about their war games and the stuff they did when they were out there. I mean, I guess it can be helpful when you're with a bunch of people who kind of understand what you're going through and yeah. blah, blah, blah. But it's only so helpful because it doesn't get down to causes and conditions. It doesn't get to what it is it that makes me this. Per- Why am I here? Why did I find myself here? Why do I use these things? Why am I so spiritually, mentally and physically sick? Mm. And when you take away my the thing that worked for a while even though it turned on a boomerang and, and was killing me but for a time it worked and now you've taken away the only thing that even gives me some kind of part-time relief from the chatter of a thousand monkeys that goes on inside of my head mm. people call it the committee I love chatter of the a the committee thousand I monkeys. like that actually I've never yeah, heard yeah, that yeah. before it's good but the chatter of a thousand monkeys I like because sometimes your mind can just be screaming at you yeah. and you know you you could be people like us can feel completely lo- lonely in a room full of people like it's mm. it's a brutal way to exist now you've taken that away from me I'm not gonna just get better now I'm left with all the untreated sickness that caused me to do that all in the mm. first place what are you gonna do with that well just not drinking and go to meetings ain't gonna help mm. Going not drinking and go to meetings that's a part of it and the way it was described to me and so we get back to and we'll now get into what we were talking about I'm sorry I, no no this, of is, this is this is excellent go off into, this is exactly what I wanted yeah I can go off to a thousand no, directions this is perfect. but so born out of necessity I had no place else to go that was just my experience now I've heard people who've had epiphanies with they did say, I don't want my life to live like this anymore, and they go ask for help. Mm-hmm. I wasn't one of those people. My thing was I had no place to go, I had no place to live, and I raised my hand and said, I think I might have an alcohol and drug problem. My mother said, you think so? Did you really feel that way, though, when you said no. that? or was just, it more I like I just knew that they wouldn't let me live in their house, and I had no place literally to sleep that night, so what else could I do other than yeah. go and admit to my alcohol and drug problem? I knew I did. Yeah. I just wasn't really looking for any help with it, you know? Mm, okay. And so my mom said, okay. She said, let me make some phone calls, and she I mean, my poor mother, I embarrassed her so many times in my, uh, my life, and the, you know, just I, I you only realize later in life that's the truth. And yeah. I'll tell this, you know, this is born out of personal experience, and I you know you, you to try and have this conversation with young addicts the way I was at twenty five, they yeah. can't really hear you anyway. No, no. I couldn't. I know I couldn't yeah. have, but now that I'm a parent and I look at my kids and they're only eleven. But if I think about my kids doing to me and putting me through what I put my mom through, just thinking they would do even a quarter of what I did to my parents breaks my heart. Oh, just hear the thought that yeah. they might do that b- literally breaks my heart. And then I think, oh my God, what did I put my mom through? Different perspective. Oh right? God, the perspective so different. Changes being a parent so much. Yeah. So there I was, and I go into that detox, and you know, detox experience is different for everybody. Now, keep in mind, right, because of the nature of what we're about to start talking about, which you know, we started this by saying the 12-step rec- recovery program, if everyone was able to do it, this it would just change the game. Globally, yeah. it would change the game if yeah. people would. The problem is you really need that impetus. What is it that's going to drive you? to It's pretty serious stuff. Mm. You know, Doing a 12-step recovery program is not something we were joking about the guys where you shove that all in. Right. We're going to start talking in a little while about doing a fourth step and taking a look at the things, the sickness, the twisted fear, shame, guilt, remorse all the horrible things that we think in my sadness and my you know depression and my anger and my rage and my all that stuff that all gets born and comes from somewhere but i don't look at that stuff i have no ability to have introspection and so I never would have looked at that stuff—self-help book, going to see a counselor. That you don't here. even realize that things are going on. on yeah, you don't realize and you're and self-medicating. And even these things. if you do, yeah. you're not certainly not gonna. Yeah, well, that's just the way life is, and you're right. not going to address it. I was forced to go to a, a counselor when I was a kid, right? I went and saw. I mean, that's one of the reasons Bluecrest was born, right? Like taking counseling and twelve-step work, real clinical and real twelve-step, and putting it together is a, is, a, is an amazing yeah. combination. I mean, you're talking rock star. Yes, you know, God meets. Uh, psychiatrist, you know what Which I mean? Is like, like it's supposed to be. Absolutely, yeah. There absolutely. should always be
0: a spiritual component. And so I'll tell patients, you know, oh, they'll tell me, oh, my antidepressant is working. Well, are you exercising? Are you praying? Like, are you engaged in your spiritual life, whatever religion that is for you? Sure. And they'll say no. So uh, I'm like, listen, the medication is not going to change your life. You have to be doing other things outside right, of that. You know. Right
1: yeah, it's a it's again, we talked about it before this started, but you know, even people who the psychiatrist who writes a prescription, you know, even they when you get to talk to them a little bit, they're like, Yeah, of course there's science and medication, but really there's it's art more than science after a while, because you realize that not not all of it affects everybody the same Correct. way. So they're trying to figure out the right kind of deal to get them where cured. No. No. To get them baseline even Correct. with everybody else. Just to function. Just to function. function. Then whatever else you do is what's gonna take you from that. Midway point of like, okay, you're kind of stable ish. Now, what are you gonna do? Mm. Now, where are you gonna go? Right? So, where do those two things meet? So, me born out of necessity, no place to go. My mom gets me into the detox, I leave the detox. Seven days wasn't brutal for me. Some people go through brutal. Thank god I never did heroin. Mm. Do you know why I never did heroin? Why wasn't in my neighborhood. Really? If there was heroin in my neighborhood, I guarantee I would Where did you done grow up? That. I don't even know. Staten Island. Oh. Okay. And when I grew up in Staten Island, it just wasn't around. It wasn't there. I mean, yeah. it wasn't, you know, we did I mean, listen. I'm, we're not. You know, I did everything. I did mescaline and mushrooms and acid and uh, marijuana and a lot of alcohol. Did and I grow up in cocaine. Staten
0: Island too? Because I feel like that's. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, you know, the world we grew up over, in very I, similar towns. Yeah. You were talking about ecstasy and st- I never did ecstasy. It wasn't in your town. No, it wasn't in my town. And you know, it's so funny because, and plus, I'm old, so you know, by the time oh, that wasn't really I, it wasn't really. It wasn't really around. It it was around towards the tail end of my uh, my drinking and using, but. It, it never made its way by me. I would have done it in a second. I probably mm. would have loved it. Mm. I joke all the time about if I ever relapse, the first thing I'm doing <laughs> is, is ecstasy. Cause I just, you know, kind of curious what that's all about. Yeah, sure. uh, again, foxhole humor. Oh, yeah. Um. So, but now, uh, you know, you took away my alcohol and drugs. I'm seven days away from it. I hadn't been seven days away from alcohol or drugs in, I don't know, probably 11 years. Wow. Right? When we were kids, 15, we started smoking pot. We always were doing something. We smoked pot every day, yeah. right? So it, there's not a day goes by that you're not doing something, whether right. you're drinking or smoking pot or mescaline or whatever it is that you're doing. And so now, seven days in a row, maybe there were days in between. I don't really, you know, 11 years, my mind is so If you broken. overslept one day, but, yeah, and you yeah, yeah, find yeah, the yeah, next day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. But, you know, in the end, you always partied. And, and now, seven days in a row, you know, I hadn't had that kind of clarity in forever, but... You know, the mind of an addict and the mind of an alcoholic is an interesting thing because you're standing on the steps of the detox. And what I'd love to say, you know, my sobriety experience is is more a looking back thing. You don't realize it as it's going on. Yeah. But as you're standing on the front stairs, I'm in that position that a lot of alcoholics and addicts find themselves in, which is, I don't want to live like this anymore. Like I have seven days now, a fog lifts, a little bit of a fog lifts. And you start actually saying to yourself, like, Jesus, you know what I mean? Like, wow, like, I mean, I'm I'm clear for the first time in probably forever. Huh. And you know, it all just kind of hits you. You turn around, you're like, geez, I'm just getting out of detox, and so-and-so just graduated law school, and this one has a house and a wife and a kid, and you always just thought rat race. But now, I'm not, for whatever reason, I'm standing on the stairs of the detox, and all this stuff kind of, the chatter of a thousand monkeys runs through your mind. And so I'm like, you know what? I don't want to go back to that anymore. I'm mm-hmm. done. I don't want to live like that anymore. And the very next thought is, but I wonder if I beeped Marky Bumps, beepers we had back then. I wonder oh, yeah. if I beat Marky Bumps right now, if he would beat me back, call me back. Marky Bumps back. was his. Yeah, <laughs> right. The cocaine. <laughs> dealer. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, and then I'm wondering if anybody's at the bar and if I called whoever and, you know, would they be there and blah, blah, blah. Now the devil and the angel conversation, oh, right? Yeah, so, yeah. And, and that never worked out well for me. Yeah. So I did what they told me in the detox. They said, look, when you leave, just go to an A meeting. Don't think, just go. And uh, one of the techs had pulled me aside. And these are the things that, that changed my life. But again, normal people out on the street, how many people can even hear this, right? I needed to hear because I was in a detox and so, you know, grateful recovering alcoholic addict. The best thing that ever happened to me was my alcoholism and cocaine addiction as insane as that sounds because it's the thing that bashed my brain open and opened me up to the, a possibility that I never otherwise would oh, have wow. confronted. This is the problem why most people won't do a 12-step recovery program because by and large something that Drastic. Those are drastic proposals. The 12 steps. When you really sit back and think about it, it's asking you to rethink and to go in, go I- inward, to to do a complete, fearless moral inventory, which most of us have been born, don't you know? We've been brought up not to look at that stuff. Yeah. And all the other steps. This is some pretty drastic stuff.
0: Well, what What is a uh, moral inventory? Because you know what? What's interesting is I think uh, I have a cousin in the military, right? So he'll drop these. Uh, these initials of something he'll talk about his job his, and he'll use these initials and I have no idea what he's talking about because it's just the nomenclature of that field sure, so sure, there's sure. a lot of that in recovery no, yeah, absolutely yeah, like, right like I actually absolutely. you know I have John trokey helping me with um kind of walking me through aA and well so so
1: you know that's why one of these kinds of podcasts you know again who 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 knows who listens to podcasts sure. right but um you're right and, and and that's true, and so there's things that we say which we take for granted that other people might understand. Right. And so, fair enough, and it's great to be able to have this stuff out, and and the truth is, Alcoholics Anonymous is misunderstood in and of itself. Very much so. Right. And yeah. the reason I say that, and I'm, I'll tell you a story in a second, but about AA and about people's, it's funny. I never didn't plan on telling this story and, and you know after we're done doing this podcast I'll check to make sure he's okay that yeah, I told the story sure. otherwise you'll have to cut it out but <laughs> I'm sure he'd be cool with it because um, we kind of have spiritual law consent together but it'll, it'll speak to what you're saying. I'm going to speed up to there to answer this question right so you know now I go to this AA meeting out of this detox and that's what they told me go and the guy pulled me aside and said find a 12 step meeting don't just go to any meeting you need people who do the 12 steps of recovery Mm -hmm. That's a big difference. That's what I'm talking about versus going to AA or doing 12-step work. You go within the fellowship, and this is all what you mean about the the, the nomenclature and understanding of what it is. A lot of people on the outside, it's funny, people say, oh, the the 12-step program. And you say, yeah, the 12-step program. But then when you go in, a lot of times back in the day, now you hear it a lot more often. AA itself has gone through peaks and valleys where people were all 12 steps all the time that's how it all was born and that's what it was and if you didn't do 12 steps you weren't even in a program mm. and then all of a sudden it became don't drink and go to a meetings for years and decades in aa that became the kind of thing And just don't drink and go to meetings the recidivism rates three you know the 97 depending on who, what numbers you listen to 95 to 97 percent relapse only three percent wow. or three to five percent even stay and so that revolving door of death as we call it right but Just don't drink and go to meetings. It's not gonna do it in and of itself. Back in the day, they promised different numbers. People who founded the AA program said that 75% of the people who came in and engaged in the actual program of recovery recovered, never drank and used again. Doing the 12 steps. Doing the 12 steps. It's crazy, right? But people on the outside don't know that stuff, right? So people on the outside, you go to a meeting. You go to a meeting and you do what anybody does. You look around and everyone sits and you sit. You see people getting coffee, so you go make, you're like, all right, there's no money jar there so I can get it for free and you get a coffee. (laughs) There's cookies laid out and people are taking them, you take a cookie. You listen to people share and people raise their hands and they share about, you know, my landlord's an idiot or I'm having a hard time at my job or whatever stuff people are talking about in the meeting. And if it comes to you, maybe you're like, yeah, I just got out of detox and, uh, you know, I don't know, I just kind of, board and I, you know what I mean yeah, I, I got people
0: think aA is like this uh, free uh, uh, minimal structure Group or group, therapy. Just talk. Yeah, right, group therapy. Yeah, right, right. That just people just happen to be yeah. alcoholics. Group
1: group therapy. Yeah, I mean that's really what it comes yeah. down to. And everyone gets together and they commiserate, and you know people will go out together afterwards for the diner, and you just kind of you know you latch onto other people that are also struggling, and when you're having a tough time, you call them and they talk you off the ledge, and you talk them off the ledge, and so life goes. Yeah, like a support that's group. That's not yeah. what it is, right? That's a part of what it is. The mm. fellowship life is wonderful. I found a lot of people with mutual understanding, and so we help each other in many many ways. Which which is great, but that's not what AA is, mm. right? So it'll go to your point of, of what we were talking about, the, the nomenclature for the, for, the, for the military, it's a yeah. similar thing. So yeah. I was told to look for 12-step people, and I found them, right? I found real 12-step guys, I was lucky. I happened to bump into a guy that I knew from the neighborhood. This guy Joey T Bird, we called him. he so guys have all these dude, yes, that man, a lot yeah. of them, could, That was like a street nickname, and yeah, Joey, yeah. Joey was he was mad dog, dude. He yeah. was absolutely out of his mind, like a drunk's <laughs> drunk. Love the guy, like yeah. he's the guy that. You know, this is back in the day when the cops would beat your ass when you got out of line and no one said anything. Right. And Joey T would be, like, hammered drunk. People would call and say, I think this guy's going to, like, die. <laughs> and he'd be, like, stumbling home. And the cops would go to help him uh-huh. and say, like, hey, buddy, where you going to? And he'd be like, F you. And he'd swing on him. And no then way. <laughs> and they'd give him a beating, you know what I mean? Because he would, like, trying to attack them. And then they would just leave him there. Just terrible. It's a different, different world. It's yeah, a different yeah. era. And so... um so I run into this guy and I see him in a meeting. and I'm like,, oh, Joey was like he was a, f- a street fighter. He was nuts. Like you knew, Joey, you never knew what was going to boot off when he was around. And so I liked that. I always thought it was he was very good like that., yeah, yeah. Oh, you know, the way we grew up, you know, fist fights in bars was just a part of the thing. course. Yeah, right? absolutely. I mean, you know, a good fist fight in a bar who doesn't like a good <laughs> bar fight <laughs> right, really, right? right. Um, and so but Joey T would always be in the center, but I see him in this meeting and I'm like oh, dude, Joey T's here. I'm thinking to myself, like, man, he's probably, I mean, he could flip a table and hit somebody, you don't know. <laughs> right. And I'll go poke the bear to try and get him, you know what I mean? Because <laughs> I'm I'm, 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 not well. I just get him yeah, detox. Yeah. But no, dude, Joey T looked at me and he had, it's one of the expressions people in AU use There was something about his eyes. And I had, what AA calls my Ebby Thatcher moment, which was one of the founders of AA had bumped into a friend he grew up with who had changed radically. And he saw his friend and he was like, whoa, I had that experience and I didn't even know about that yet, but I had had the experience where I saw him and I was like, whoa, dude, the guy was radically different. Mm. His eyes, his appearance, the way he talked to me, Richie, great to see you. I'm like, whoa, Mm. like who is this guy, you know? And so he shook my hand and he circled a meeting and he told me, dude, you should come to my home group. It's awesome, blah, 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 and you know, I hope you come on Thursday. And he gave me his little copy of the big book. And something I, about that was attractive to you. H- huge, because Joey T is a regular dude. Yeah. He's yeah. nuts, and you know what I mean? And I always say, and I still say this, and again, we'll get into it, but I'm one of those guys who, if I see somebody on the street, this is not now so much, I don't attract to it, although I still put it out there that way, kind of, because every time I speak, I'm trying to speak to a newcomer and not to people who've been around for a while. But there's something powerful when somebody's coming off the street from a life of addiction and alcoholism, when somebody says the F curse and God in the same (laughs) sentence. You know (laughs) what I mean? Like, I don't know, that's attractive to me. I know that's sick, but it is. Because that guy's not like... You know, it's not, he's not coming across holier than thou. He's right. not come. he's coming across like a street guy who's yeah. like, dude, yeah, you, know, you want to get, well, I know how fucked up you are. God's the answer. You're like, yeah. wow, whoa. what? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, whoa. What was
0: that finally, <laughs> I wrote it down, but I know I, I totally misquoted it and I didn't want to mess it up on the podcast, but something about religion and spirituality
1: Oh, yeah. Well, um, religion is for people who are afraid to go to hell and spirituality is for people who've been there and don't want to go back. Mm, mm. And I love that. That is an amazing quote. And again, but I always qualify now. I used to just say that. Now I qualify and say, but... Once you get a little sober and a little more mature, you realize religion in and of itself is a wonderful thing, right? right? It's a, it gives direction and, and inspiration to millions. Mm. And so I used to, you know, I used to joke that I'm a recovering Catholic, right? <laughs> right. I mean, that was <laughs> like the, you know, that yeah. was like the joke when I was speaking in a meeting. Yeah. And now I've gone back to the Catholic Church, and my kids have gotten baptized and confirmed. You know, they're going to be getting confirmed next year. They've done their Congrats, communion, awesome. all that. Yeah. I went back to the church, and it yeah. took me quite a while of sober before my mind was open enough to go back and do that again. And plus,
0: now you're a different person interacting with the church, so now you can. <laughs> you view the church Dude, completely different different filters yeah but
1: that's that's the whole thing and this is the whole point of the 12 steps and why it's so amazingly beneficial so here i am i meet this guy and now and this is what i meant and what i said i would tell you a story and 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 it does show the and and this can lead us right into i guess kind of the heart of what you were talking about and when when we said like oh let's have this thing and we can talk about the benefits that a would have for everybody so I meet this guy, he takes me through, he says to me when I go to meet him at the home group, I followed up and I did the meeting at his home group and I went and met all his people a collection of misfit toys like you never saw who was a leg breaker from the mob who was my people like I walk in and I'm like I mean I knew some of them yeah. from the neighborhood this guy's insane yeah. one of the guys that was in there is a guy who used to walk down to Anthony's Food and Spirits hammered drunk in a bathrobe he'd walk from his <laughs> house naked except for a bathrobe and he'd be at the That's bar amazing. banging on the bar telling the bartender to give him a drink in a bathrobe these people and that was cool him. That oh, was, that was, I don't know if it was cool but he was crazy but everyone's got a kick out of. Because he was a nut in the neighborhood, yeah. but I see a lot of this collection of people here, and I'm like, whoa! Like, look yeah. at these it's guys. Like a den of thieves, yeah. Right? And and really, an island of misfit toys for yeah. real. And yeah. I see them all, and I'm like, wow! Like, look at these guys. And then you can start to get talk to ones you don't know. One's crazier than the next, except they're not. They're mm. well. And you start talking to them, and you're like, wow, look at these people of like radical changes. Some I knew from the neighborhood, and I saw how changed they were. And others, you hear their stories and you listen to what they went through and they did and then you see how they live today. See, that's AA, what it was like, what happened, my 12-step experience, Mm -hmm. and what it's like now. That's, that's that's traditional message that you give when you go share at a meeting. I'm gonna tell you what it was like and how messed up I was, what happened to me since I came into Alcoholics Anonymous and how I live today. Mm. And out of that message, people will hear you share and say, I want that guy to sponsor me. Mm. Can you take me, how do I get what you got? I, I you, you were crazy like me, you did something cool and look at how you are now, I want that. Mm. What do I gotta do? And you're like, all right, we'll read this book. Joey handed me my first copy of the big book, one of the little pocket editions that you can keep in your back pocket. And he said, read more about alcoholism. It's all about you. Mm. He's like, dude, doctor's opinion and more about alcoholism in this book. You'll read it, you'll freak out. And I was like, Doctor's ah. opinion is? Is one of the early chapters about a doctor that wrote about what it is to be an alcoholic basically okay. and what comprises us and what, you know, how from it's From his position up. of being an alcoholic himself? Or from from what his position of witnessing the two founders of AA coming into his uh, town's hospital, his sanitarium, sanitarium, and going and taking alcoholics and doing 12-step work with them, and then they would recover. Uh. This doctor witnessed this stuff. He was a real, and actually, it's, it leads to the story I was gonna tell you about what real AA is. See, this doctor witnessed, when AA first was founded, AA was founded by a stockbroker and a proctologist. <laughs> Those are the two guys, right, yeah. Bill and Bob, right? Yeah. Those are the, everyone knows Bill and Bob. Bill was a stockbroker, Dr. Bob was a a proctologist. And the two guys kinda met each other and Bill Wilson had been working on the understanding. He came in contact with this guy, Dr. Silkworth, and so this guy had explained to them the nature, the true grave nature of his addiction. Mm. And it was an understanding that he had a physical addiction that his body processed alcohol differently than other people. Bill was also doing high-powered sedatives at the time and stuff and whatever, Let's just, we'll stick to the alcohol. So um, it, it processed different in him. He would drink and he would set out to have just one or two and he would have 50 mm-hmm. and he would be hammered drunk every time. And he never understood it. He, he meant it when he said, I'm only going to have a couple. Some people's body processes that stuff different. An alcoholic knows that feeling. when you phrase, have uh, an allergy to alcohol? Allergy. Yeah. And that's one of the things that the doctor told him. He's, he's like, look, you have an allergy. Your allergy is different than other allergies. When you drink alcohol... It creates a physical desire to drink more. Mm-hmm. And you can't stop it. And then the problem is, once you go down that rabbit hole and you put it in your system, now you've kicked off the physical craving for more. Who knows when you're going to end up stopping, right? right? It could be two hours, two days, or two weeks. And you're not in control of And that you're not anymore. in control once you put it in your system. And then you have a secondary problem, mental problem, because this is physical and mental. The mental problem is the worst part of the whole thing because that's the crux of it. Once you do realize that your life is upending and you're like, you like, put it down physically and you dry yourself out of the sanitarium, which is, all well, they, they didn't have detoxes back when they were around. Mm. You dry yourself out and your wife and your family would be like, what's the matter with you? Don't do this again. You're like, oh, I won't. I don't know what I was thinking about. The mind of an alcoholic takes you back to it again. Mm. Your mind is wired wrong. I don't know why. Why is our mind wired wrong? Why is my mind wired differently? I have friends of mine who once things started getting bad in their life because of alcohol and cocaine, said, what am I doing? This is ridiculous. I gotta graduate school. And they stopped. Yeah. Never did it again. They're done. They put it down and Why they said that this is bad. Why is that person different than the other? Me, my mind didn't work that yeah. way. My mind told me it's gonna be different. My mind told me I'm not gonna let it get out of control. My mind told me a lot of lies. My mind is wired wrong and it's wired in a way that it brings me back to the experiment of the first one. Once I put it in my system, it kicks off the physical craving. People who are are duly addicted to both alcohol and cocaine, let's say in my example, No man, you're talking about uh, what what a what a wonderful bedfellows they are. Right, right. right. And for me, when those two got married, oh my God, you couldn't divorce them no matter what you did. Mm. Now I drink Jack Daniels. I go have a Jack and Coke in a bar. You have to, dude. Within 20 minutes, I'm getting a physical itch and reaction. I'm I'm calling somebody. I gotta I gotta do some lines.
0: Yeah, that's what they call poly substance abuse. Actually, the DSM, because there's a big misconception that poly substance abuse is. I just like to use different types of drugs. I like to use no, no, no. No, it's like you have to use two drugs in concert of them. Yeah, Yeah,
1: exactly. And so. So for me, that was me all the way, right? So, um, and that's one of the other reasons why, again, all, we had some cool conversations before this started. This is one of the reasons why people can't safely use alcohol and drugs in any form at all once they put it down, right? You have some heroin addicts that come in today and they'll think that once they get that part of their life straightened out and they get detox from heroin, I'm never gonna let that happen again. I'm just gonna drink and smoke pot and that's it. Right. It doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. Once you've crossed the line of an alcoholic addict, and you can try, they all try and prove <laughs> their exceptions to right. the right. rule. It never works yeah. because the problem is now you get. In, I always joke at them, and this is what I say when I do groups and stuff. Yeah. I always say, "Yeah, okay, you're a heroin addict, and now you're gonna have the widow baby. Hi, <laughs> a widow <little> baby. <laughs> Hi, <high>, smoking <laughs> pot and a little drinking, yeah, yeah, yeah. and eventually your body and your mind says." Well, this is ridiculous, you know (laughs) what I mean? (laughs) I know there's a way better high for me out there and so the little baby high, and you can maybe nurse that for a little while but the time and place comes with the mind of an alcoholic addict. It'll help you and heroin addiction will help you believe that lie. It'll let you go sometimes for months and tell you, you got this, man, you're good. You're good, you got this. And then all of a sudden one day you're like, The idea hits, boom, and it seems like a good idea at the time, right? It's like the guy, uh, I I used to love that from uh, The Magnificent Seven, reminds me of a fella in Texas who walked up to the top of a 10-story building and jumped off the roof. And people looked at him and said, what about him? And they said, well, it's funny. The people at every, the windows and all the hallways on the way down, I heard him on the way down saying, so far, so good. <laughs> so far, so good. Uh, but that we all know amazing. how that's going to yeah, yeah, it's great. Amazing. I've never heard that before. But, you know, that we all know how that's, that's going to so end. Good. People like us know how that's going to end, yeah. right? Because that's the experiment. So um, Oh, but
0: that's so relatable. Even just that to like other situations, right? Even like a toxic relationship. You
1: know, they know that this girl or this oh, boy is absolutely. so far so good. You know, she hasn't
0: driven me crazy Absolute. yet. Absolutely. Well,
1: know. Oh, so part of the 12-step recovery program is to create a sound sex ideal for yourself. Mm. A sound sex ideal is one where you look back, and this is part of the fourth step, which we're just about to start talking about, but part of the fourth step is doing a sex inventory where sex inventory is not writing about what kind of sex, that's not (laughs) what it is. A sex inventory is, is a relationship inventory for lack of a better term. And it's you create out of that relationship inventory a sex ideal or a relationship ideal. Sex does become a part of it, absolutely, right? Because some people are sick in that area as well. Mm-hmm. And sick doesn't mean that I look at your sexual behaviors and I say that's sick and that's not. Right. Sick is if you're engaged in something that you find reprehensible and not okay and you're doing it anyway, right. that's what makes it sick. Not what I think right what's good they've, for somebody they've else they told you that this is not good for them this Abs- is disordered for them absolutely and they can't stop and once you realize that you're engaging in that now you've got to ask yourself should I be doing it right so you know well uh, one 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 school of thought would have a man have uh, no flavor for his f- fare and other would have us on a straight pepper diet there's ways of they 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 cover all this in the 12 step recovery program because sex problems is a huge part of the fourth step. Most people, if not every person on the planet, has some kind of sex problem. Not with sex itself necessarily, but some kind of relationships or sex problem where that goes with men and women, and or or nowadays, I mean, it was always men with men, women with women, uh, 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 and men and women. It's always been that, but now we can actually talk about right. it. When <laughs> yeah, we yeah. were kids, you couldn't yeah, yeah. talk no, about didn't, the other it, it ones, didn't right, because it quote. was taboo and yeah. it was unforbidden. Now we can talk the real about everything, right, yeah. about what people's real experiences are. A lot of people, when they do fourth step stuff, you know, when we share a fifth step, after you write your whole fourth step, which again I'm gonna get into, but when 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 you write your entire fourth step, one of the parts of the fourth step, on top of doing your sex your your sex inventory, where you write about all your past relationships and highs, lows, good things, bad things, what you did wrong, what you did well. What, what worked, what didn't. You create a sane, sound sex ideal based on the crazy, bad stuff that you had. You know what you don't want to do, mm-hmm. and then you know the ideal is the opposite of that, how you should show up and what you would do, and what you look for in a partner. Like I know what to avoid because I've been in these <laughs> right, bad relationships right. and me and that person don't go well together. Yeah. I want to be with that kind of girl, but it's not good for right, me. Right. And she wants to be with me, but it it's ain't good, good for, for her, her either. either. Right. So, all right. You know what? I'm, I'm bef- Cause we're we're about to get into all this and I want so to, so if I could circle back really briefly, because it's an important aspect of this kind of a thing where people hear us talking about what AA really is and so now, for me, bringing it back to my experience with Joe T. Joe T. Now start, and this collection of Misfit Toys, they start guiding me through a real twelve step recovery program. I go through the twelve step recovery program, and I have just an absolutely amazing experience with it. Right? I mean, I it's it it was life changing stuff, and mm-hmm. and that's what we're we're here to talk about. But. After I got up to the to a particular part in the steps, and I'm in the thing for a couple of years now, a year and a half, two years, which you know in the grand scheme of things is a little time, but now I've become a bit more practiced, and I start working with a lot of sponsees, other sickos like me, mm-hmm. who reach out to me and they hear me tell what it was like, what happened, and what I'm like now, and they're like, I like you, you know, mm-hmm. you're crazy, and I, you know what I mean, but <laughs> you got well, yeah. and they identify with me, and they're yeah. like, I want you to sponsor me and take me yeah. through the steps. I'm like, all right, you sure you want to go through with me? I'm hard, right? <laughs> right? So I tell guys, all right, if you want to, you know, think you want to go through the steps. So this one guy that I worked with, um, he was, I mean this guy, his name's Philo, this guy, dude, unbelievable dude, unbelievable guy sick as they come, mm. came up to me in a meeting in the 79th Street Workshop in New York City. I was there to speak about sponsorship. Mm. And I go and I share my story and blah, 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 and I, I do my thing, and afterwards people come up to me, and people always come up after. If you share well and if you, like, hit it home, some of the people in the, o- in the audience or in the meeting will be like, I want to talk to that guy. Right, so people right. come up and talk to you afterwards. One of the guys came up to me and he was this artist. And apparently, one of the guys in the meeting was like, You know who that guy was? After I was done talking to him, I'm like, Not really. I'm, I'm a kid from Staten Island. You know what I mean? I know nothing <laughs> you about the Manhattan that, yeah. art yeah, yeah. scene, dude. I yeah, know yeah. nothing about yeah. anything. I lived my whole life on Staten Island. <laughs> yeah. I never went anywhere, right? <laughs> Pennsylvania, a couple times to a trailer my parents right. owned. And we drove to Florida once. But the rest yeah. of my life was all in. All and it wasn't just Staten Island. It was in my neighborhood. Uh-huh. It was a, a eight square block radius. That's where I lived my whole life, basically, right? Yeah. So I don't know anything about Manhattan. And so he's like, oh, that guy's a famous artist. And I'm like, whatever. I was not impressed by anything anyway, because man, dude, I'm like, I'm on a mission now, right? I'm sober and I'm like out there spreading the message of healing and recovery and and that's making me better. And so the artist came up and talked to me and he's like, I want to go through the steps with you and I love what you said. And I'm like, okay, no problem. I gave him my phone number and I, you know, he's like, I'm gonna, I said, call me tomorrow. And if you, if you still want to do it, I always give him, you know, 24 hours to think about it. I'm like, you know, you heard me speak and it sounds good, but if you still wanna do the work with me in the morning, call me, and he's like, okay. And then the other lunatic, Philo, I don't know who he is at the time, but I watched him go in and out of the bathroom the whole meeting. He's mm. got those little white spots on the corner of his mouth coked out of his mind. And I know his jaw is going a thousand miles. Out. I saw him in and out of the bathroom during the meeting, and I'm thinking, oh, that that you know would be happening. me. right? Yeah. That, that poor guy, except I would never be stupid enough to go to an AA meeting high. I think that's crazy, personally. Yeah, yeah. People do it. I just, me, I'd stay the hell away, but that's just me. He comes up to me invading my personal space. He gets like within inches. The spittle is hitting me as he's talking to me. And I'm like, yeah. bro. And so I, I I, like put my hands on. I said, do me a favor. Take a few steps back. You're yeah. invading my personal space. Yeah. Now, again, being a kid from Staten Island, what I wanted to say is, bro, what are you you're stepping up to me like that? Are you right. kidding me? Let's go. But I'm not doing that. I mean, yeah. I'm a sober man and I know he's high. And so I'm like, hey, could you just give me a little bit of space? And I kind of put him back, you know, an arm's length. And I'm like, what's up? And he's, I heard you talking So I go home, the fiance at the time, and she's like, how was the meeting? I said, it was great. I said, some artist came up and asked me, and I said, he's definitely going to call me in the morning. And then some lunatic was wasted. Probably won't even remember he spoke to me. Well, you know, we make plans and God laughs. And so the next, I never heard from that artist again, but the lunatic called me first thing in the morning. (laughs) You know, he's probably still high. Oh, yeah. And so anyway, long story short, because I got to bring it back in because I could talk about this forever because this like, is a story that I've told many times and there's a lot of creaks and crevices to this story. Very cool experience. But this guy had a rock star experience. Rock star. We met every week. He did the 12 Steps. Me, I can't get anybody sober. Right. I don't get them drunk. I don't get them sober. I can't. I don't have that kind of power. It's not your responsibility. No, right? my responsibility is my big thing is I can read. Mm. I sit. I read instructions. I say follow this direction. Follow this direction. It's all in the big book. You know, there's a little more to it than that. But you're guiding them through this path and you're holding them accountable. Like you said, you were willing to go to any lengths. I always ask them that. You willing to go to any lengths? Yes. You sure? Yeah. yeah. Well, remember you said that because I'm gonna bring it up a lot <laughs> right. in the next few months. Yeah, yeah. So are you willing to go to any lengths? And he was, and he did, and he met me every week and he followed all the directions and he had an amazing experience Mm. this guy was he was literally drinking and using himself to death he was me cocaine and alcohol the whole thing and his wife filed for the divorce his job he was literally this close to losing his job he told me all this stuff when we first met and I was like look man put that stuff to the side and we're going to concentrate on having a 12-step experience and then You know, life's going to take care of all that stuff for you. God's going to take care of that. And, you know, people always roll their eyes. Oh, oh, God's going to magically make it all go away. I'm like, yeah, maybe it will be magic. But you don't have to believe it. You just have to believe that I believe it. Right? Let's just agree that going on the way you are now, you're doomed. Right. I'm offering the possibility of a solution, and let us not forget, you heard my experience. Dude, I should be dead. right? If you use me as your example, which you are, because you asked me to sponsor you, you see the power of what I'm talking about. You don't even have to believe it, it's real. Yes. Look at who I was, and look at who I say I am now, and listen to my comportment, the way I, I speak, I am way different than that sick individual, and you get the, the you get the benefit of seeing that I had this experience. If you believe what I'm saying, and there's
0: no reason for you to offer yourself as a sponsor
1: other than gratitude, right? Well, I mean, and, well, n- there is actually I, I, because means, the people in the program said that if I don't sponsor people, I'm going to go back to drinking and using. Right.
0: So there's there's that part of it too, because uh, that's part of the twelve step, right? It's yeah. Back, but it's not like a. a uh, it's not like you get a, a percentage of each person you sponsor. No, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, so that's, they have no reason to not believe you, Absolute. is what I'm saying. Absolutely. Yeah, 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 very
1: true, very yeah. true. So, but now that it speaks to the guy, Doctor Silkworth. That's why he was so important in the beginning. He was the guy in charge of Towns Hospital. He was one of the leading alcohol and addiction experts in the country at that time. I didn't know that. He saw Bill and Bob, and he watched them put it together. Bill realized that the mind—that's where we were talking about before. He realized that his mind was sick, and his and his and his body was sick with the allergy. And then he also came to realize there was a spiritual component to this all as well, right? He was restless, irritable, and discontent. He had feelings of unhappiness, he was full of fear, he couldn't have good personal relations, he couldn't control his emotional natures, he was prey to misery, he was prey to depression, all spiritual sickness on top of the mental and the physical part, and when you put that all together, brutal, and the doctor told him, but I don't know, like with m- normal people, I use a kind of a, a psychological measure to get you to see that, to move you beyond it. But with alcoholics of this hopeless variety, the normal psychological approaches don't seem to work. Mm. And so he said, but I did hear about this group of guys who do God stuff, and Bill's like, ah, <laughs> Bill wanted nothing to do with the God stuff, right? Yeah. He, he had no interest at all, but necessity born of necessity, Mm. he kind of had to be a little more open-minded than he was in the past, and so he got in touch with these guys. The Oxford groups is what it was back in the day. It was a very Christian thing. Bill was so not into it at all, but Ebby Thatcher brought him to it, and he started getting with this, opening his mind up to a God concept, which he never had before, and Bill was in search of helping other alcoholics, because that was one of the big beliefs they had, that if you carry the message to someone else and help them, it'll help you. Mm. So Bill was out looking around, looking around, and he, Tried for I don't know how long. I have always forget the history, but six months, eight months, and he didn't get a single person sober. And he was depressed one day, and he told his wife, it's not working. Mm. I haven't gotten a single person sober. <laughs> and his wife said, oh, uh, Bill, it is working. And he's like, no, it's not. <laughs> not one of them is sober. She said, Bill, you're sober longer than I've ever seen you sober ever.
0: What a revelation and to And Bill I'll was then. like, <laughs> oh, right. You know, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Bill
1: managed to stay sober, even just in the effort of helping people. And so one day he was on a business deal, and he had the serious urge to drink. And because Bill was still sick, but he was staying sober. And so he went and he was going to go into this bar and have a drink. And he said, you know what? I got to help somebody. And back then there was no AA meetings. He called the church directory looking for any priest or anybody in the area. And he got him on the phone. And he said, you have any drunks in town that are sick that need help? Because <laughs> wow. I'll come talk to them." They were like, yeah, actually, we got a lunatic that you could talk to. And one call gets made through these different people. And I won't go through the history, but... He goes over and meets Dr. Bob. The two of them get together. They uh. have this experience. Dr. Bob, he was more the spiritual giant of AA. When Bill told Bob about the sickness of the mind and the allergy, and Bob put, and then that God was going to be the solution, well, Bob didn't know about any of that stuff, but he knew the God stuff, and he really... Once he added, it was like when you ever remember the commercial with the peanut butter and the chocolate bar where the guy trips and it falls into the peanut butter and he pulls it out and goes, mm, yeah, like, breathe, <laughs> like a genius. Oh, yeah, like yeah. A genius. like yeah. just that struggle, that accidental meeting of chocolate meets peanut butter. Yeah. That's what happened with Bill and Bob. Wow. And Bob now started applying those ideas to his spiritual uh, uh, practices, and all of a sudden, the two of them got sober. Now they went out and started carrying this message and they got all these people sober. Now, as they were doing that, this doctor at Towns Hospital, Dr. Silkworth, he watched them come in and all of a sudden, the sickest lunatics he's ever seen coming in and out of his hospital are getting sober and staying sober. Mm. He saw Bill, and he was like, "Dude, you guys are amazing." Mm. So they said, "Well, listen, we're writing a book. We created a fellowship, and we want you to like sign like a testimonial to tell people we're real." Doctor Silkworth was like, "Well, hold on <laughs> yeah. a second. You know, he's the leading alcohol drug uh, doctor of the in the country at the time." That's a big deal, right? Like, that guy was credentialed. Everybody knew who he was. He was a leading prominent doctor. And now the stockbroker's asking him to write a thing saying that they found a cure for alcoholism, basically. Right. He begrudgingly did it. He said, guys, I'll do something because I would never he seen saw anything like, he saw the mirror, he saw it happening. And he He's, had no reason to sign off and, on and, it. <laughs> but other than the fact that he saw people who should be dead right. thriving, not just better, but thriving in their communities. And mm. he was like, fine. He wrote an initial, there's two letters he wrote. The first one was very short. <laughs> and then later, as he saw this continue to grow and so many people getting well, he wrote a little bit more, a little bit m- less brief Uh, explanation of what these guys were, and that he thought it was an absolute miracle what he was witnessing occur. That's incredible stuff, right? Now move current day Philo, now I'm meeting with Philo and he has this, this experience that we all talk about. Like he didn't just don't drink and go to meetings, he met with a guy who happened to be me because of Joey T-Bird, because of Tattoo Larry, because of all the guys that came before us, right? Everybody had nicknames and stuff now, but all these guys before us had carried a message of hope and recovery and 12 steps, an actual 12 step process that you have to go through. And if you follow all the directions, you're going to have an experience. You can't have mine, but you'll have your own, and it'll be better than anything you can imagine for yourself. Joey T used to tell me, I guarantee you'll never want to drink and use again. He's like, now if regular A people heard me say that to you, they'd say you're not allowed to say that to anybody, but I'm telling you it's true. So I have the experience, and I carry it to others. And now Philo has this experience, and he's about to lose everything in his life, and Long story short, his wife, I had gone and met with her in the city. She called me crying. I don't know if I should believe what I'm seeing. It seems like a miracle, but I, he's, he's disappointed me before. She and I have this cool meeting, separate story, amazing stuff, but whatever. <laughs> so he has the real, she stays. Not only did he not lose his job, in the coming years he ended up becoming the head of this entire. It turned out he was like a big shot, by the way, who worked for like one of the investment banks. Wow. And I didn't know that when I was sponsoring him. I had no idea. I never asked. Like we just that wasn't that didn't matter. Nah, yeah, didn't didn't come into the conversation. Turns out he was like a big shot, big shot. And so the the job stays, and he ends up excelling in a way that was incredible. And the wife stays with him. His whole life changes around. And he calls me up one day and he goes, hey man, he goes, listen, my psychiatrist wants to speak to you. And I'm like, your psychiatrist wants to speak to me? What what does he want to talk to me for? Because I don't want to talk to his psychiatrist. You know what I mean? And he's like, I don't know, he won't say. He just said that he wants to talk to you. And so I was like, "Uh," I said, let me call you back. And I called my sponsor, I'm like, dude, this psychiatrist wants to talk to me. Like, should I talk to this guy or what? And he was like, I don't know. The big book says that we should uh, help the medical community and leave ourselves open to them if they ever want to talk. Oh, He's I love like, that, that there's an answer to that in yeah, the big book. Yeah, there is an answer in the big book. And it says we should make ourselves available to the medical community if they want to confer with us and talk with us. And I'm like, all right. So I said, all right, give him my phone number. The guy calls me at my brokerage house one day. And he's like, "Uh, hey, this is Dr. A. Uh, Philo gave me your number and said I could give you a call. And I'm like, yeah. I said, hey, Dr. A, uh, what's up, man? What what can I do to help you? And he goes, well, first of all, I just want to ask a very important question. Now, keep in mind, as Philo and I went through the steps, he'd been seeing this shrink for 10 years. Wow. Couldn't stay sober. He was a cocaine act, full blown. He'd been seeing this guy for 10 years. All childhood stuff, right? God knows what little he actually told him. Man, we never tell them anything (laughs) real, dude. We always tell just enough to keep the conversation going, right? Ten years he wasted this guy's time by not telling him the truth. And after he had the experience with me, he had called him up and said, I need to make a four-hour appointment on a Saturday. And he read him his whole four, most of the highlights of his fifth step. And he told him everything. I mean, the deep, dark secrets, the stuff that he'd never told the shrink. The shrink was like, you could just imagine him writing in his notebook <laughs> yeah, yeah. like, what the heck just happened? So the shrink tells me, he goes, so I, the first question I wanna ask you is, what the fuck did you do to Philo? <laughs> and I started laughing, right? I'm like, I, so I literally yeah, laughed, yeah. and I said, I didn't do anything to Philo. I said, you know, Philo came and he had, a, he had an AA experience, and, he, and this is what the doctor said to me. He said, Rich, let me tell you something. I've been sending people to Alcoholics Anonymous for 25 years. I've never seen anybody have this kind of an experience before, so don't tell me he had an AA experience. And I said, Well doc, the problem is is that a lot of people on the outside don't realize you send people you're sending people to AA the fellowship. Philo fell in with a group of people who do the twelve step recovery program. That's uh, not the AA fellowship. The fellowship, you have coffee, you share in a meeting, you go to a diner afterwards, people pick each other up for rides, you hang out in the parking lot, you smoke butts. Literally a fellowship, is hanging out with friends. fellowship with other people, yeah. yeah. But the 12-step recovery program's a whole nother thing, man. Mm-hmm. And that's where you put in action and effort. And I said, and Doc, I didn't get feel sober, I didn't. He called you because he tapped into something enormous. I said, I had the same experience myself. I said, believe me, Doc, I'm, I said, I'm, I'm a semi-educated kid from Staten Island. I said, I'm not, I, I can't get anybody sober. I said, I all I did was read and he followed directions and he had an experience. And the doctor said, well, let me tell you something. I've never seen anything like that in my life. And he said, but I wanted to ask you a favor, which is the real reason I called. And I'm like, sure. And he said, I have another guy I've been working with for 11 years, cocaine addict, alcoholic, very much like Philo. And I can't get through to him. He's like, I can't get him to turn a corner he's literally dying in my office and i Mm. know he is and i can't there's nothing no approach i make seems to be working and i was wondering if you'd be willing to sit down and talk to him wow think about that that's amazing think about the power of that a real life modern day dr silkworth this is a, a park avenue shrink by the way this guy's 62nd street offices you're talking like rich and famous like these are the real deal he went to all he had all the degrees you know in his office this guy was very prominent uh, shrink like I said this guy turned out he was like a big business guy Yeah. and this guy's calling some half educated college dropout from Staten Island asking him if he can help one of his patients that's amazing stuff dude right amazing stuff Absolutely. and guess what happened I went sat down and met with the guy and guess what happened the guy had an unbelievable experience. Mm. And I could go into that, that's a whole nother story that I would start crying hysterical if I told you right now. But point is, that's an AA experience, that's the real deal, that's a 12 step experience. What it was like, what happened, and what it's like now, the what happened is what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. And what happened is a 12 step recovery process. And what does that mean and what does that look like? What it means is that you find somebody like me, for example, in the fellowship who's already had a 12-step experience. They've been guided through a 12-step process and they can sit down with you, open the big book, which is the textbook of AA, and they can guide you through from the forwards, it doesn't start at page one, it starts all the way back at the forwards, right? We literally read the content, the the title page, Mm. and we go all the way up through the book. And that person will sit and they'll take you through and they'll ask you questions we don't just read a statement. If, if it says in the big book, men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. My sponsor would stop and say, did you drink and use essentially because you like the effect produced by alcohol? Right. And I'd be like, yeah, I like to get numb. He's right. like, exactly. And then he'd read the next sentence and he so would turn really that into a down. question, break it down. He's like reading a sentence or a paragraph. Not I read books all the time, you read a paragraph and then you don't even remember what you read. Yeah, He stops at every sentence asking me, is this you? Do you agree, do you disagree? Do you think they're telling the truth? Do you think this is possible? Do you believe, do you not believe? What do you think? And he every single thing he broke down. And there was no right or wrong answers. In my spot, you know, anybody who takes you through the 12 steps is going to tell you, you can't have my experience. There's no right or wrong answers. And don't bullshit me either. (laughs) Because I'll know. If I tell you, do you believe that God can take you beyond where you are and you look at me and say, yes, I know you're lying. Right. And I'd be like, all right, fair enough. And so fair early enough. on in the book, it was like, do you believe God can do this for you when you can't do it for yourself? I'm like, not really. And so my sponsor would just that. smile and say, maybe that answer will change at some point. Yeah. Maybe not, but okay, Yeah, It's not something enough. you confront like uh, you're wrong. You, you allow no, the person to have their own experience. They have to have their own experience. And so you guide them through a 12-step recovery process. Now, the 12-step recovery process, and this is the, 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 the critical part about why most people in the world, as much as I know they would benefit from a 12-step experience, one of the the keys to it, why they wouldn't ever really do it, is there has to be that first step truth that pushes them to take actions they would not otherwise normally take. And what would be that first step truth? My first step truth was that I was an alcoholic and a cocaine addict, and that if I didn't do this other stuff that they subscribed to, that I'm going to die. I'm going to continue to drink and use until I lose my life. Does it have to be death, though? Uh, Well, there's all sorts of forms of death. There's spiritual death. There's financial death. There's uh, emotional death. There's physical death, right? There's all sorts of different ways of dying out there. And is it possible that a normal person who's not an alcoholic or addict could have their own... Momentous reason or breakdown in life where they would be willing to do something and go through? Absolutely, they would. People do it all the time and they seek out other things. All of a sudden, they go to gurus and self help books and this and that. AA is the best because it's free. The 12 step <laughs> right. recovery program yeah, will yeah. cost you nine bucks. <laughs> that's that's that that book. book should probably cost about 250 grand, yeah. the book, but it costs nine dollars. Right. Um, but you can, the, the amazing thing about the book is when it was written, it was initially written that someone could take themselves through the steps. There were no sponsors back in the day. People would send away for the book in Skokie, Illinois, and Bill and Bob would, would postmark it and send it to them um, um, via the, the Pony Express. <laughs> right. And a week and a half later, they would get this book, and the wife and husband would open it at the kitchen table. The wife's like, all right, maybe you're <laughs> going to get cured. And this guy's like, this isn't going to work. That's amazing, though, because that book probably i mean
0: did it for a lot of people, right? Oh, just, dude, read, just reading the book itself. More
1: than you can imagine. It's amazing. More like than you the, can imagine. The,
0: just like if you think about words and books as like programming you know right on to pick up a book and it just completely change your life is but, but
1: and the, the point of the book is that it's you just have to follow directions they have a particular belief system and they believed the first thing you had to do is look at why in your life and i'm now i'm going i'm uh, um, for the sake of this conversation because of where we're going with it i'm not just going to talk about alcoholism and addiction i'll say that the first step when you read through 40 well, let's see what is it 40 something pages it's Trying to remember what the breakdown is. I can't believe I don't remember the number. And usually I remember it off the top of my bed. It's something like, and, and, and don't quote me, but I think it's 46%. 46% of the, the, the textbook of Alcoholics Anonymous is dedicated to step one. Wow. Yeah, less than half, but almost half of it is dedicated just to first step truth. Because you have to recognize how sick you are and how what it does to you. That's what gets you to do the rest of it. The rest of it, the process itself, only makes up a little more than the rest of the half the book. Mm. But it's packed with lots of action and stuff you have to do. But first you have to come to a, a true understanding of the nature of your sickness and how in trouble you really are. Once you are, then you'd be more willing and open to accepting these drastic proposals that they're suggesting. One of the next drastic proposal, after you take a look at your first step and you see your truth, and if it's somebody outside of AA, maybe it's just life sucks and they hate themselves and they hate the way they live and they don't want to do it anymore and they don't know what to do. Maybe that's enough for some people. For me, I don't know that it would have been. I needed, I was looking down the double bar shotgun of alcohol and cocaine Mm. and that was going to kill me and it almost had already. And so every time I turned around to say, I'm not going to do this anymore, I would turn around and there's that shotgun pointing at me. Because once you have a first step experience, It's hard to lie to yourself. I know it's waiting behind the bush to knock me in the head and drag me back in. Mm. And so every time I started doubting or saying, I don't want to do this anymore, I would turn around and i go, oh, geez, I have to. (laughs) And my sponsor helped too, right? By saying like, dude, you know, you still need to do this. Mm. And so now I get done with this first step truth and I look at how much trouble I'm really in and my sponsor's like, so what do you think? And you know what the, (laughs) that's two words and and we're on our own podcast so we can talk and I've already cursed a couple of times. (laughs) This is just the truth of it. My sponsor said, so. What do you think about your uh, What do you think about your first step? You've now done the full, complete first step. What do you think? What are your thoughts? And my thoughts are the same as almost everybody who does a real first step. Two words. I'm fucked. <laughs> I was just thinking the that's same it. words. That's exactly what I was thinking. That's the yes. truth. Yeah, and it all boils down. Yeah. People might explain it longer than that, but in the end, a good sponsor is going to say so. Basically, you're saying you're fucked, <laughs> right. and that's what it is. You realize. If I'm you fucked. keep going down this way, absolutely, this is what'll be like. absolutely. And so my sponsor is like, so what do we do next? I'm like, I don't know. What do we do next? He's like, why don't we do the rest of the twelve steps? And I'm like, all right, what do we got to do? <laughs> God might be the answer. I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, and I go, oh, I'm finally, you get me to the point. Now you're going to start to be a magic God's yep. going to help me. I'm, I'm a recovering Catholic. Like yes. I was an altar boy. That's not going to do <laughs> yeah, any good. Yes. You know, that sounds good for when you die. You have to yeah. deal with the whole God thing. Right. Make, meet your maker and but, make yeah, sure you're prepared Exactly. For it. But in the end, in the real world, I need real solutions to real problems. Mm. And my sponsor, we always joke that we just pat people on the head, just smile and pat them on the head <laughs> and say, let's just see what happens. <laughs> right. Let's read out of the book and we'll just ask questions and answers the way we've been. And so he did. And he read out of the book. Is it possible? Is this possible? Is that possible? Do you believe? Is it possible that this could be? Is it possible that could be? Dude, there's so many things and we can't talk about it in this podcast because I could spend the two hour podcast just on steps two and three. But the point is the people who wrote the book, they wrote it knowing a lot of people were gonna have hang ups that God was gonna be a real solution. Mm. See, one of the things I found now in recovery, and keep in mind who I was. When I came in, I was a doubter, eye roller. God is not some real thing like it is. I'm not saying there's no God, there probably is for sure. But that's for later. That's for after. But in the real world, I don't know how magic God's going to be able to step in and actually solve like real issues or problems. I came to find out later, and my sponsor had told me this, and it turns out to be true, and I tell everybody this. The power you find, the power of God, is something that you better be able to see, feel, direct, and use in your life. Mm. Every day in a very real way, that's what we're offering. Mm. I'm like, so you're telling me I'm going to have an experience, and I'm going to experience God. Keep in mind, 12 years Catholic school, but you're telling me that I'm going to experience God in a way where I'm going to have access to a a universal power that I'm going to be able to see, feel, direct, and use in a very pragmatic, real way in my life on a daily basis. Yes, you will. Bullshit. (laughs) You know, it's just, it sounds ridiculous. And yet, I'm sharing down this, I don't want to go back to the way I was, so what if it is possible? Right, right. Maybe it's not. And that's what he told me. He goes, dude, worst case scenario, you go through all these directions and in the end it turns out to be bullshit. We spent a little time together, right? right. You had a different life experience. What's it the worst? didn't work yeah, yeah, yeah. out. What's the worst thing that yeah. can happen? The, what's the best thing that can happen? Mm. Is er, that we're half right. What if we're just half right? And God can actually, in real terms, for real, take you beyond where you are mm. with your addiction, take you beyond where you are with your Bad personal relationships with your fear. God can take you beyond your guilt, can take you beyond where you are with shame, beyond where you are with childhood trauma. What if God can take you beyond where you are? You can actually have a process that literally just shifts you and takes you beyond where you are to a life better than the life you've ever that you could ever imagine or would ever know.